Keeping Your Joy, The Heartfelt Theology of an Isolated Prisoner. And, and the topic today, the title I'm giving this teaching, for those who have been Christians for years, so that would be me and many of you, the constraining power of each new day in Christ. Here's the most dangerous thing about your daily life right now. It's not COVID-19. The most dangerous thing about your ordinary daily life right now is the way it can make you forget about God. And that's the issue that Paul is kind of clawing away at in this text. Our ordinary days, our normal routines, the things we do and know how to do, and the things we know we need to do next and plan to do next, that routine can very easily make us forget about God. Not deny God, forget about God. The text is Philippians 3, 12 to 16. So open your Bible or turn it on if you're, if you're watching live stream with us. Philippians 3, 12 to 16. And the part we know well, because it's kind of a great motivational sounding text, would be probably 12 and 13. But the whole thing taken together gives us a, a few important thoughts. Philippians 3, 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. Paul says, but I, I press on to make it my own. Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. And then he says a couple of things. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 15. Now to everyone, he says, let, let those of us who are mature think this way. The forgetting behind, the pressing onward. If you're mature, let everyone who is mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only, only let us hold true to what we have attained. It's interesting because in verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this. And then in verse 16, he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's just pray together. These are such important words and our minds might not be ready for them. We come with a host of things crowding, clamoring for our attention. It's hard for us to be still and and know that you are God and to let your Holy Spirit take your word and plant it like seed in our hearts so that it, it starts to bear fruit and produce more than we would have thought possible. And so use that Holy Spirit, I pray, as we study together in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, unless we have forgotten what Paul has been saying up to this point in the letter, these verses ought to seem strange. Now, they might not right away, but... Let me try and show you why they should. They don't seem 
to be an easy fit with what has just gone on before in this letter. Verse 9 of chapter 3. Paul says, And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So that's what Paul has just been saying. Their words to the um, Jewish religionists who were pressing the Christians at Philippi. Paul's in prison, but they're pressing these Christians at Philippi to more effort, more uh, vigorous discipline, more diligence. They wanted to advance these new Christians in zeal and the performance of some of the outward expressions of the old covenant law. These are the ones, by the way, in last week's text, Paul pretty bitingly calls dogs, those who mutilate the flesh, circumcision, because they were turning away from the gift of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. And they were trying to push these new converts into a, a, a very disciplined, vigorous, legalistic, works-related faith. And Paul would have none of it. The only righteousness that counted with Paul was the righteousness that came from God, by God's work, through Jesus Christ, and his atoning death. Okay, so far, so good. And then in today's text, Paul, Paul seems to get it all backwards. I mean, he seems to be right in their court. He's calling for more effort, straining to what lies ahead, not less effort, He's telling these Christians to run the race, not to rest. I mean, look at the verbs that pile up. See it? 12, press on. Straining forward, 13. Pressing on, 14. What we have attained, 16. Now, all of this ought to raise a question in our minds. What's the relationship between trusting in the accomplished righteousness of Christ, the gift of salvation through faith. What's the relationship between that and flexing every muscle in pursuit of the upward call, 14, straining forward, 13? I mean, which is it? Do we trust? Do we trust in the righteousness supplied by God through Christ as a free gift? Is that what we're supposed to do? Or do we work? Do we press? Do we strain? Do we reach forward? Do we trust or do we work? Which is it? If we work, then what's the difference between Paul's work and the works of those Judaizers he so thoroughly condemns? I hope you can see this really isn't just some cold academic theological issue because there are dozens of passages like this in the New Testament. You have to have something to explain. The Christian life is likened to a fight. You know the verses. A race, a contest, a war, and many, many, many other pictures that place this strong emphasis on how hard we work and strain and run and fight. How do we put these together with a gospel that comes so freely 
with hope for the empty, the weak, the broken, the spiritually dead. Where are we going here? That's the issue. I mean, perhaps it can be summed up by going back to the question I asked earlier. The, the real issue at the core of today's text could be simply stated this way. What's the difference between the work called for by the Judaizers and the work called for by Paul? Or, or to, to put it in the race imagery that Paul uses, how does the running of faith differ from the running of work? And I have just three or four thoughts I wanna, I wanna leave with us today. Point number one, the running of faith is a constant reaching out in hungry desire while the running of works is the pride of attainment of outward personal accomplishments. Uh, please, please take careful note of the wording in these verses. Look at verse 12, try and show it here, 12 and 13a. Not, not that I have already obtained this. So not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I... I press on, I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I, I do not consider, there's the not, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So for all Paul's effort, he's the one writing this, for all of his effort, straining, pressing on, all he talks about in these two verses is, is what he hasn't obtained and what he hasn't fully received. What I'm trying to get at is this running of faith in Christ Jesus is, is a race that you always run with, with empty hands, while the running of the Judaizers is a race that reaches certain destinations, certain accomplishments. One is reaching for something not quite taken hold of. The other has specific points of accomplishment that you achieve. The Jewish law keepers stressed circumcision, just as an example. Very well, be circumcised. And here's the thing. There, you've done it. Accomplished, right? There may be other goals, but they will soon be reached. I mean, that's the nature of law righteousness. Ceremonies, they're all measurable. They can be counted, codified, tabulated, recorded, mission accomplished. And, and we feel the pride of having reached these goals. I've got it. There might still be more, but I'm getting, I'm ticking them off. Paul actually describes this kind of pride of accomplishment even in his own sort of previous religious life. You can see it in verses 5 and 6. This is what Paul is talking about, 4, 5, and 6, actually. Though I myself have reason for com confidence, there it is, confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
So he's not talking now about what he hasn't attained. He's what he has. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law. Look at it. Can you believe it? When he talks about following Christ, all he can talk about is what he hasn't yet attained. When he talks about the keeping of the law, he says he was blameless. What a contrast. The race of faith isn't, isn't like that at all. It's a totally different kind of running. True, it takes work, it takes effort, it takes diligence, but, but not in the same direction. The running of faith in Christ, it never actually reaches accomplishments that are attained in the sense that they can now be put behind us. There, I, I'm saved. The race itself, the race of faith, knowing Christ, the, the, the race itself and the hunger and the passion and the stretch, th those are all manifestations. They're part of the gift of grace in Christ. The more you race, the more you reach and stretch, the more you press. The desire grows rather than is satisfied. The race of works, you tick off the accomplishments with pride. The race of faith, the harder you run, the deeper the desire. It's hard to put simply. Faith, faith always runs and reaches out with hands that are still somewhat empty. The, the race is always new. It doesn't get old. The, the race itself creates more hunger, deeper hunger. It never rests on past accomplishments. Unlike personal works righteousness, we, we never attain the righteousness of Christ in the sense of having now put it behind us. You never get there in that sense. It is always fuller and greater than our grasp. It is always calling out in front of us, no matter how long we have lived, how long we've walked with Jesus as Lord. That's, that's the beauty of it. This is why, church, heaven will never be boring. Whatever you try and accomplish here on earth, you do it long enough, you get how to do it, and it becomes easy, and you can do it without thinking. But because, because, because the life in Christ never reaches the summit, you'll have all eternity and never, ever get bored with it. It's hard for us to imagine that now. This is so important. See, unlike circumcision or dietary regulations. You never become holy in the sense of reaching holiness. You only become holy in the sense of longing for more holiness. Do you all see the difference? Wave at me if you see the difference. Plus I'll know you're awake. You never come to know Christ like you know a pair of old slippers. 
you never come to know Christ the way you know your grandmother so well, you know what she's going to say about that meal in the restaurant before she opens her mouth. You never know Christ like that. You, you sort of... You sort of know Christ the way you know what the sky looks like on the most beautiful night you have ever seen in your whole life. You, you know him in the sense that it just beckons for more. What you know about Christ doesn't quench your thirst for Christ. What you know about Christ deepens your thirst for Christ. That's exactly what Paul means, 12 and 13. Not that I have already obtained this. I, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I don't think of it that way, he says. And we all want to say, well, Paul, come on. Of course you've obtained it. You're an apostle for Pete's sake. If you haven't obtained it, who has? You've written almost half the New Testament. Actually, Luke wrote more verses than Paul, but that's just a trivial pursuit issue. No, Paul would say, I haven't obtained it at all. I've just, I've just received enough to make me chase it. I'm learning how to race. I have never been hungrier. I'm pushing into the wind with all I've got, and I love the thrill of this whole thing. That's it exactly. The race itself, that's the gift. The gift of God's grace that no personal accomplishment in righteousness can ever replace. Now, if this all sounds good, it also creates a problem. And it's one that the text solves for us. Because you want to pause for a minute. Where exactly does that leave us? If we never reach the goal in the sense of accomplishment, if we, if we constantly feel the tug and the hunger without the full completion, where, where does that leave us? I mean, are, are we left uncertain about our future in Christ? Like maybe we don't quite have what we think we have? Are we, are we forced into desperation about our security in Christ? Where does, where does the rest of faith enter into all this pressing in, straining, reaching forward, driving ahead with all my might? Where does, where does assurance come into this? And Paul tells us that, and these are some of the most beautiful verses in the Bible, though they don't get quoted quite as often. Point number two. Paul reaches after Christ, straining, pressing, never fully attaining. He reaches after Christ, knowing that Christ has already apprehended him. You see it in that 12th verse? Here's what he hasn't got. That's what he starts with. Not that I have already obtained or I'm already perfect. And here's what he does. I, I press on to make it my own. But then these words. Why am I doing all this? And how do I do it with confidence? Hunger, but confidence. Well, because Christ Jesus has... He has done this. He's made me, he's made me his own. You know, however depressed this whole season has, those words ought to put joy in your heart. Christ has, 
Christ has made you his own. And so you look around the room, you see all these people you can't even recognize because they've got masks on. And you look around, see anyone, and you say, Christ, Christ has made, he has made you his own. You're his. True. Paul tells us repeatedly that he had by no means apprehended Christ in the sense of an accomplishment. He reaches after him. He presses on to know him. He has no sense of having sort of captured the prize fully in the sense that there, I'm done. But make no mistake, that doesn't leave Paul in the dark. His, his, his is a confident, joyful race, not a gloomy race. And by that I mean his, his reaching hands, they're empty of his own accomplishment, but they are confident in the grasp of Christ. He hasn't caught Christ or tamed him, no one ever will, Eternity won't be long enough, I already talked about that, to satisfy the soul with all the greatness of Christ. But Christ has caught Paul fully, completely, totally. Paul, his empty hand reaching out, but it's in the grip of the hand of Jesus Christ. This is another truth almost too wonderful to properly tell. You see, the approach, in a sense, the approach of the Judaizers or any works-based religion, their approach at first glance, sorry, it, it seems more manageable. And in a sense, it is. You, you, you do this, you can get it done. Then you do this, and you get that done. Then you move on to this, and you get that done. It does seem more manageable. But it does constantly leave us wondering if, we, if we've done well enough, right? The, the legal pursuit of God, and that's most of the religions on the planet today, outside of Christ, the legal pursuit of God, it's a very stress-filled race. Its success rests on our moral and religious acumen, our mental abilities, and if you fail, well, the law never offers any grace, just condemnation. It only tells you, no, you didn't do that well enough. No, you're not quite good enough. You need to do this and this and this. It's a stress-filled race. And so there's a precious lesson here for today's Christian as well. Paul would turn our search for confidence and assurance. He would turn it away from our own accomplishments. That's what he does when he says, I count all those things as rubbish. And they weren't bad things. They were his good things but inadequate. They left him insecure. It is a common mistake to overrate our own ability to sort of measure our spiritual state, if 
by feelings of warmth or an acquired ease in prayer or a sense of a sense of mystic presence in worship or measurable success in some ministry fruit in some ministry none of those things is bad my only point is paul turns to none of those things for his hope christ has him that's paul's confidence he doesn't have to hold himself up. He's been apprehended. He doesn't have to prop himself up. He's been caught by none other than Christ himself. And so, so this is the wonderful paradox in this well-known passage. Paul races. He works. He stretches. He presses toward the goal. He does it every day of his life with every fiber of his being. And yet at the same time, he knows that Christ has him secure. Only in, only in Christianity do you get those two things together. Point number three, we're almost done. If you've known Jesus for years, learn to live your Christian life always starting at the beginning again. It's in that Philippians 3, 13 to 16. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. One thing I do, forgetting, that's the verb, what lies behind, straining, that's the verb, for what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the, it's an upward call. It's a call. You hear it every day of your life. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only, we'll look at this in a minute. Let us hold true. What does that mean? He's not talking about what you believe. He's talking about holding true to what you believe. That's something different. The reason everyone reads and quotes verses 13 and 14 is we kind of love the passion in them. We love the way they call us on. I mean, these are great mother and apple pie verses on pressing on in Christ. And we love them even if we're not sure why. But Paul has something very specific in his heart as he wrote those dangerously familiar words. And he had people like you and people like I in his mind. See, we all come to Christ the same way. All of us. We repent. We place specific faith in Jesus Christ, God the Son, as our Redeemer, who died for our sins, rose from the grave, intercedes on our behalf, and there we are, we start the race. All of us, we begin the race exactly the same way. But from that point on, I mean, we're all different. We all do different things, we like different things, we live in different places, we work in different surroundings. There are probably no two family situations exactly alike. Not in our church, not anywhere. And so in other words, all of us, we, we transpose. We transpose our walk with Jesus into our own shoes, into our own lives. And that's as it should be. Each is called to follow Christ in his or her own specific set of circumstances. But then you notice Paul does something collective in these verses. So, 
So he talks of his own race after Christ with those glowing words. And then he says, everyone is to think exactly the same way. So 14, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And then here's the generalization, 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Everybody who's mature has to think this way, Paul says. Circumstances might be different. Everyone has to think like this. We're not used to. So he says, I'm, I'm, I'm straining to, to what lies ahead in verse 13. Reaching forward. And then he says, we're all, if we're mature, we're all supposed to think like this. And the problem is, we're not used to measuring maturity by what still needs to be accomplished. I mean, our whole culture trains us to measure accomplishments by looking backward. This, this, that, and that. And in our text, Paul calls these mature believers to realize the only part of their Christian experience that they need to be straining after as a goal is the part that's still in the future. But how will they keep themselves motivated? I mean, what sustains this fresh hunger in their souls? And I think the key is found in that 13th verse. I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. So there's the two directions, behind, forward, past, future. And Paul is crystal clear. This is how mature people live. They have the ability to make choices about the past and the future. They know they live in time. And so they can focus on the past or the future. Now, immature people don't do that. This is what makes babies babies. This is what makes little infants infants. They only live in the present, right? I have two wonderful grandsons and I can still vividly remember when they were just still babies. A baby lives entirely in the present. If he's hungry, he's hungry now. If he's happy, he's happy now. If he's tired, he's tired now. If he wants to be changed, he wants mom or dad or grandma to change him now. I mean, now is, now is all there is to a baby. It's just now. Keep this in mind as you hear Paul's summons to mature Christians. You'll see it. Those of us who are mature, verse 15, think this way. What way? 13, forgetting what lies behind, straining toward what lies ahead. That's what mature Christians do. This is the only way to run a race, really. Everything hinges on it. It's so easy to miss this, and it becomes a curse in a church. We are also inclined to look at where we are in our Christian walk and use whatever point we have reached as that spot of ground there. That's the part we maintain in our Christian life. I do it. You do it. The problem is you can't run a race like that. 
I mean, think of the phrase. You can never run a race holding on to your present spot of ground, can you? That's what Paul meant when he said he made this a daily practice to forget what was behind. He doesn't mean that there aren't nice moments, that you can't have nice memories. We all have those. But, but he means you, you, you don't look at the past in the sense of accumulated spots. Each day brings its own growth. Each day uh, brings its own potential for gain. And it must be built on freshly. Each new day, more ground covered, stretching to what lies ahead. And you do that day after day after day after day. It's constantly a race. Remember this. At each point of progress in your Christian walk, the most important point is not the place you have reached, but how you view the place you have reached. Because unless you view your present place in your Christian walk, unless you view that as a place to be left behind while you're moving ahead to another, then your spiritual life just becomes a grave. All of us in this sanctuary and online are, are, are called to, how can I put it, return to go every day. You haven't reached a spot. You haven't reached a spot. You're running a race. This is Paul's call to those of us who have followed Jesus. 58 years been following Jesus. And there's something in all of us that loves to just savor the experiences that have been accumulated. And that's not terrible in itself, but it becomes serene just to sort of graze in a well-worn relationship with Jesus. We've earned our stripes so to speak. And to that, to me, Paul would shout, Don, leave what's behind, behind. Keep running. Keep running. Whatever has been precious can become a threat to future growth if treated as a destination. It was never meant to be a destination. It's meant to be a fresh starting point. All that was gained yesterday only has value for my Christian life as it propels me into the future. That's what Paul says when he says, now I'm, now I'm really wrapping up, I promise. I said I'd talk about, that's what Paul means when he says, 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. What does that mean? How do we hold true to what we've already attained? I think Paul means to reinforce the idea that we need to see what we have already attained for what it truly is. That's what he means. Don't make a destination of what you have attained. That's turning it into an idol. It wasn't attained as a position. 
It was attained to become a fresh starting place at a new level, a truth to unpack with deeper and deeper impact and meaning. This is, see, so what Paul talks about to us, to those online, what he's talking about is, Don, you need to make sure that you have this new way of thinking of your Christian experience. If you're mature, this is how you have to think. I'm sure this, I'm sure this leaving behind of the attainments of yesterday, I'm sure it's a big part of what Jesus was constantly calling for as he limited entrance in his kingdom to those who were perpetually childlike. Not childish, childlike. Keep, keep fresh momentum. Start over every day, every day. And remember, at the same time, Christ has already got you in his grip. You're already his possession. It's a beautiful balance, isn't it? Keep your heart from going stale. Remember, Christ has taken hold of you already. Let's pray. We're so grateful, Lord Jesus, for the times when we can come and, and we open our words, our word, the word, we open the word, that's the easy part, opening our, our minds, that's the tricky part. It's the part we don't do well without the help of your Holy Spirit. And so these, these two ideas of constantly straining for what is ahead each new day, that accomplishments are never destinations, they're fresh starting points. And then, that you've already taken possession of us. We are already, right now, yours forever. Take those two truths, because you know, Holy Spirit, how they have to be blended in a healthy Christian experience. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.